Hi, everyone, and thank you for being with us. This is Fairbor Spotsarash, Director of the Department of Human Services. As we've all observed, things continue changing quickly when it comes to Oregon's response to COVID-19 pandemic. Since last week's podcast, most Oregon counties entered the first phase of reopening the economy. Baker County Circuit Court issued a preliminary injunction against all of Governor Brown's executive orders, which was followed by an emergency ruling by the Oregon Supreme Court to keep the orders in effect while it hears arguments. And yesterday, the state's May revenue forecast was released, which illustrates the devastating impact the pandemic has had on the state's economy. In this podcast, we're going to touch on these topics one at a time so you know how they affect us in DHS. I've asked our Chief Administrative Officer, Don Erickson, to join us for part of this conversation. You may remember Don from a podcast that we did a few weeks ago about trauma-informed care. Don, welcome. Would you please share with us your role for staff who might not be familiar with it? Part of my role is uh, to support and oversee many of our shared services. And a shared service is, you can think of it as a business unit that provides specific types of service to both DHS and OHA. And there are a total of about 15 shared services. Now, I refer to these as business units, but I, I want to underscore that everybody who works in these units uh, sees themselves as, and rightly so, as playing a critical role in serving both agencies and public in the state of Oregon. In addition, I'm able to participate on the uh, executive team for DHS, and I've been really fortunate to be able to direct some energy into special projects ranging from some operational issues for programs to promoting trauma-informed organization development for DHS and our suicide prevention program. Thank you, Don. So let's start with reopening of Oregon's economy. As most of you know, last week, most of Oregon counties were approved to enter the first of the three phases of reopening. And just last night, two additional counties, Marion and Polk counties, joined the 31 counties that were approved last week. And let's just be very clear about what the reopening of these counties means. It doesn't change how DHS is now operating. We expect to maintain the status quo through at least the first two phases of this reopening. The governor has asked all state agencies to keep as many staff teleworking as possible through the early stages of reopening. And at the same time, we are planning for the time when it is safe for us to bring some of our staff back from teleworking and resume services that were put on hold during the pandemic. Working with our program directors in DHS, we are developing playbooks to help guide us through a reopening of DHS and to make sure we are prepared to swiftly react should we see surges of the virus in parts of Oregon after reopening. Don, I know that you're leading and are involved in developing some of the guidance that will be incorporated into the playbooks to keep our staff, and the people we serve safe as we ramp up our local offices. Can you tell us a little about what may be coming up? Certainly. We've broken this process of really developing as specific guidance for the organization and our field staff as possible to be able to prepare them for some changes. I don't want to quite say return to normal because I don't know, really, we don't know what that's going to look like over time, but at least to be prepared for 
more traffic in our facilities and more of our staff returning to the offices. So parts of this uh, guidance is going to include some of the very straightforward issues around use of face coverings. We are fortunate to be able to partner with uh, the Department of Corrections and who uh, created uh, many face coverings for us for our organization to be able to distribute. And of course, we're gathering them from uh, the private sector as well. But the playbook is really going to focus on several areas, including how do we make decisions about telework, for instance, and how do we operationalize ongoing telework to maintain organizational safety and to move the organization forward. We need to be prepared for visitors, increased visitors to our facilities, and how do we both provide a high level of customer service to those folks visiting our facilities while still ensuring that we're protecting both their safety and the safety of our staff. You maybe have heard the term tracing, which is a process of being able to basically map where individuals have traveled in the community, and for us, it's going to be in our facilities, so that if there does end up being a positive case of COVID-19, we can as efficiently as possible determine who that individual may have come in contact with and what parts of our facility are going to require a more in-depth decontamination. We also need to prepare our staff for re-engaging field visitation and to make sure that they're safe and that they have the proper protective equipment and they know how to use protective equipment and uh, to be able to help the uh, families that they're engaging and, and other stakeholders in, uh, in also remaining as safe as possible and reducing risk of the spread of the virus. This pandemic has also brought with it many learning opportunities for us as an organization. Our priority is to respond quickly to the needs of our staff and the people we serve. However, we are starting to get enough breathing room to start discussions about where we go from here. We've been talking with local leaders in every program to learn how we move forward together and help rebuild a safe and a strong Oregon. One of the things we're learning is that teleworking makes sense for some positions in the agency and that there is interest in teleworking being an option as we emerge from this pandemic. Don, I know that you're working on some guidance to operationalize teleworking. Can you give us a sense of what you're exploring? Yes, definitely. Through the, since at least since my time at uh, the Department of Human Services, there's been some reluctance in some corners to promote teleworking. Folks not sure about how to properly and and effectively manage staff that are working from home, uh, how to ensure that the work basically just gets done. And uh, this experience has demonstrated that, in fact, management of staff and supportive staff working from home is very much possible. And in fact, in some areas, productivity has actually increased and we've seen some measurable improvement. So uh, from a facilities management standpoint, anything that we can do to be able to slow what has previously been seen as an inevitable increase in our um, footprint around the state in terms of the amount of square footage that DHS leases, that we're recognizing that that's not an inevitable process moving forward, that with increased use of teleworking, we can slow that growth and possibly even eventually see some savings in what we are currently spending on facilities themselves and also then the maintenance of facilities. And so we really need to provide some specific direction to our staff from HR in terms of how do we handle things like certain accommodations that people need to work at home, how do we manage uh, equipment that's being used at home and so forth. So we're very actively trying to prepare and get ahead of that process.
Thanks, Don. I wanted to share this brief story with you and the people who are listening. Last Saturday, I had a brief conversation with one of our child welfare staff who shared with me that teleworking is really not working for her. She um, has small children at home. She has to quite often put herself on mute when she is in Zoom meetings or Skype meetings because of the background noise and primarily because a six-year-old should not and does not care about meetings. That naturally is frustrating for her. Uh, so she has to come in on Saturdays to catch up for work. And at the same time, her husband has Saturdays off. So that also deprives her from spending that time with him. I do want to say that she was very positive about conveying this and at the same time told me that many of her coworkers and colleagues love teleworking and it's working for them. So we know that this is not a one-size-fits-all and that on the path to develop teleworking process, we need to keep in mind the needs of the agency, uh, the needs of those people that we serve, and last but not least, the needs of the people that are serving um, our service recipients, our staff. Absolutely. You know, in areas that I actually supervise and support, I've seen the a similar pattern where probably anywhere as high as 85% of my staff are enjoying teleworking and are, are really productive at working from home. I have other staff who that's just not a good fit for them. They very much miss the more direct interaction with their colleagues and an office type environment. And as you mentioned, not all home environments uh, lend themselves to uh, to the kind of work that we do. There's also privacy and security issues that we have to uh, consider as well, that there are certain jobs that people have uh, where they're, they're handling very private information, and uh, we, we have to absolutely ensure that that information is, is, uh, is, remains safe. We've developed uh, two surveys. Uh, I reviewed the first draft yesterday. Uh, one survey will go out to staff who are teleworking, and the other survey will go out to managers. And it uh, really is just exploring th this question. What's, what's worked well? Uh, what hasn't worked so well? Uh, what are your feelings about ongoing teleworking? Uh, what challenges have you faced? Uh, what kind of equipment you know, possibly do you need to work more effectively? And we're hoping to be able to uh, get that survey out in the field uh, by next week and uh, start looking at the, the results to be able to, again, better uh, inform us as to where is teleworking really an advantage and where is it not so much an advantage. Thank you so much, Don, for that thoughtful approach to make sure that we're addressing the needs of our staff and the needs of the agency and the needs of those people that we serve. Now let's switch gears and talk about the budget. Yesterday, the first in-depth analysis of the state's economy since the coronavirus outbreak in Oregon was released. You may remember that the previous revenue forecast had state's revenue skyrocketing. And just in a few months, we now are projecting $2.7 billion shortfall in the current two-year budget cycle. Earlier this month, the governor directed all state agencies to prepare for this shortfall by providing options that translates into a 17% budget cut for the next fiscal year, which starts on July 1. For the Department of Human Services, uh, that cut means um, about $325 million in general fund. 
and it can grow into an even larger reduction because most of our general fund dollars are matched with roughly $2 in federal funds. We understand the news is worrisome because it's the nature of our work to care deeply about the people we serve, the programs they depend on, and each other. Oregon has a constitutional requirement to have a balanced budget, and we are in the early stages of understanding what the true impact of the cuts will be on our department. So at this point in time, there have been no final decisions about the budget. From here on, the governor and the legislature will work together and consider all options as they make decisions about DHS budget and the budget of all the other state agencies. The second point that I want to make is that balancing the budget is a process. And with the recession this deep, we know that budget cuts will be necessary. We don't yet know the extent of it, but we know that they need to happen. The forecast that was released yesterday gives us just a starting point. From here on, everything will be considered. How much federal money is coming in, uh, how does the reopening of Oregon works? Um, how much um, rainy fund and education stability fund is available to fill the holes? And are there additional federal stimulus packages coming down uh, the road? Um, all of those things will be considered as the governor and the legislature make their decisions about how we will deal with this reduction. Our approach, and this is the third point, our approach throughout um, this exercise and as we enter this uh, reduction mode in the agency and across Oregon has been to minimize impacts on staff and the people we serve. And it will be extremely difficult to make this magnitude of cuts um, without reducing staff, provider resources, and programs. Uh, we started tightening up our belt from the start of the pandemic by identifying savings, stopping non-essential purchases, and travel. And we also slowed down hiring. Layoffs would be last resort, but we may need to go there, depending on the severity of the revenue losses. To date, there have been no decisions about staff layoffs or furloughs. If those options move forward, furloughs or any modification to compensation of represented staff must be negotiated at the state level with our labor partners. So um, to summarize, there's a still um, some process that needs to happen to get us to totally understand what this um, reduction means to DHS. I anticipate that we will be seeing a special session before the end of June. Um, whether or not we will know about any additional federal funds by then or not is not known. But either case, I, I believe that the state will make a decision about the initial steps that we all need to take to address um, uh, these reductions. From there on, I think what will happen is we will begin to uh, figure out how reopening of Oregon is working. If we are not seeing a um, resurgence of the virus, in, a, in about 21 days from the first date that the counties went into first, uh, phase one, they could enter phase two. And then 21 days after that, if there is not a resurgence again and the hospital bed capacity is maintained, uh, 
testing and contact tracing is in place, many of the counties could go in phase three, which means, again, the economy will be opening up. People will be going back to work. Tax revenue will, will be coming in. And all of those will address and fill in some of the gaps um, that we are facing. And next biennium may be a different story, but right now we really have our eyes on the next 12 to 14 months to make sure that we can end this budget cycle with a balanced budget because that is a requirement. I know there's a lot of anxiety by all of you around jobs, around income security, et cetera. Please keep those priorities that we have uh, in your mind and minimizing impact on all of you and all of the people that we serve. Take care of yourselves um, and make sure that you are communicating with one another. I will keep communicating with you as new information become available and we'll get through this together. Thank you and we'll talk again.